All right. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to the Diet Riot Podcast with Alyssa Miller, Brooke Miller, both dietitians, both moms, both live in Denver, both from the Midwest, both love intuitive eating and food. (laughs) We love to eat and we love to eat. (laughs) Can any of you relate to that? Yes, I would hope so. If not, then listen to a different podcast. Anyways, we're here with an awesome guest for you guys today. Um, She's actually a therapist, and I'm going to let her introduce herself, and I think this is going to be a really awesome episode to get some kind of knowledge that Brooke and I can't bring to the table of the therapy side of things. Um, So hopefully we'll have a great conversation here, and we're excited to have you guys here to listen on. All right, Stephanie, I'm going to throw it over to you. All right. Hello, everyone. My name is Stephanie. I'm from Long Island. Uh, New York, and I could definitely relate. I absolutely love to eat as well. Um, And so I specialize in the treatment of eating disorders out here. Um, I have worked with eating disorders for many years now. It's always been a passion of mine to really work on um, helping improve diet culture because obviously we do live in that. Um, so throughout schooling, it's always been something um, that I focused on whenever I was able to like choose an assignment or anything like that. Uh, in fact, my senior thesis was about body dysmorphia. So uh, it's always oh, been wow. something. Yeah, I talked about reckless behaviors and um, body dysmorphia. People are more likely to uh, perhaps engage in reckless behaviors because of having body dysmorphic concern. So that's a little bit about me. Awesome. So you knew from the get-go you wanted to work with eating disorders. Absolutely. It's something that, like I said, I've always had such a passion for it when my thesis was coming up and they're like, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I really want to do something with eating disorders. And they're like, okay, well, why don't we talk about maybe something else? I'm like, nope. <laughs> like eating disorders. Wow. Yep. Yeah, that's so good. I feel like I was like super afraid and wouldn't touch eating disorders with like a 10 foot pole when I was in school. Mm-hmm. And even like when I was looking for jobs, um, the eating disorder clinic of Denver, I think is what it's called technically, yeah. um, had job openings. And I was like, nope, skipping those going somewhere else. And now it's just funny that I find myself here talking about more disordered eating than true, like full fledged eating disorders, but definitely obviously one leads into the other. Mm-hmm. So that's cool that you had that propensity to begin with. Yeah. And I think as dietitians, it's like a whole nother realm because it's hard as a dietitian to try to treat something that's not a food issue because eating disorders are not an issue with food. It's an, it's an, it's a mental illness. Like mm-hmm. that needs to be treated with therapy and a psychiatrist or psychologist. Like there's so many people involved in the care. And so I just felt like I was never fully equipped to be able to help somebody because we as dietitians alone can't can't help patients like we can help as a team but it takes so many other people to really treat a full like full-fledged eating disorder mm-hmm. so um i think it's really interesting that we're going to hear the other side to it from you <laughs> i'm excited to be here and absolutely i collaborate with a close team uh, whenever i i try to make sure that all my clients are seeing a nutritionist as well that works specifically with disordered eating and recognizes that part and does not really adopt the diet mentality um, because I'm also not fully equipped to handle every part of the eating disorder. We really work very well with the team because there's obviously a big nutrition part there as well as the therapeutic part. 
Yeah, I wanted to touch on that. You know, we talked about wanting to talk about that to our listeners, Mm -hmm. how important it is to when you are seeking out health help when you've reached that point to make sure that the people you're um, reaching out to, such as your therapist, your doctor, even or your dietitian Mm -hmm. has like good research and um, good experience in the eating disorder realm. Can you Mm -hmm. talk a little bit more to why that's important and why people should be looking for that? Absolutely. So this is something I am very, very passionate about and have talked about it so much on my channel and all of that. Um, Because what happens is that a lot of people don't realize that if you find a first off, let me backtrack a little bit. There's actually very little um, that I actually learned in school regarding eating disorders. It's really not same Same here. Yeah, crazy. Um, yes, it was all really self-driven and through experience as well. Um, so there's most people who are in the profession, the helping profession are not very well educated about eating disorders. And I'm not saying it's a fault of their own, but no one really said, oh, this takes a little bit different of a way to treat um, than anything else. So most people think that they're equipped to handle eating disorders and they'll take you on. Um, and really not necessarily that's not necessarily the case. So I've had a lot of clients who have actually come to me after seeking prior therapists um, who they got help. And then what happened was that they ended up in a worse place. And then when they started, because the therapist, uh, one, didn't treat accordingly how they really should. Um, but two, and then they started stepping into a nutritionist role and a, and a bad nutritionist at that. They're like, oh, just don't eat carbs. And I'm like, you cannot say that to someone wow. who struggles no. with an eating disorder. And that's not no. obviously the correct thing. Um, so that's why when you're getting help, you want to make sure that the person that you're getting help from really knows, uh, what it is and has a sensitivity as well in the background. Yeah. And I think what I've seen too, is practitioners, health practitioners, and not necessarily by fault of their own. I mean, like you said, just in schooling in general, Mm -hmm. and we can talk, I think across the board, people just don't get enough education on how to handle true eating disorders and what that looks like in recovery and how long that really does take. Mm -hmm. And I think people, um, you know, therapists or dietitians or doctors or whoever's, whoever else is part of your care team, if they're not properly educated on the verbiage to use, they can do a lot of damage and trauma to someone who's already dealing with something so mentally um, difficult. And Mm so if if people themselves haven't realized that they're actually teaching or coaching or educating out of diet culture and those beliefs of, you know, your weight is what's most important and that's how we're going to track your health and things like that, that um, coming from that standpoint can actually do more damage than good. I'm sure (laughs) you've experienced yourself, but so I think that's super important and good for our listeners to hear that if you are struggling with an eating disorder to really do your research on what kind of background, um, your practitioners have and how, what approach they're going to take with you in the recovery. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. And then can you just touch a little bit on what diet culture and yo-yo dieting can do to your mental health along with like you said, doctors who maybe don't know Mm. what they're talking about or, (laughs) you know, even dietitians. Like I think as a dietitian, honestly, we should be trained specifically with eating disorders before working with eating disorders. Because if you're fresh out of college, just fresh out of a general internship and you dive in and you're trying to help people with eating disorders and you're just like telling them to count their calories, like that's not going to work for an eating disorder patient. So, um, yeah. So if you want to touch on what diet culture and yo-yo dieting does Mm -hmm. and then how, how do you get around, um, healthcare professionals that have kind of like jaded patients and get them on the right track. 
Absolutely. So that's, that's a huge part. Um, so I, I honestly, to be frank, I have definitely rolled my eyes at doctors and with when my clients are talking to me <laughs> about something that the doctor perhaps said. And I, I do educate and say, listen, like I am very self-disclosure too, like saying throughout school, even in the doctors and the medical and perhaps they're the worst offenders and I, I they have their, they do great jobs and all that. But specifically when it comes to eating disorders, they're really not very well educated. And I do try to teach that to my clients and I try to spread that awareness, of course, on social media, on YouTube and all that. So that when you are going into a doctor's office, you can be prepared and really well insulated from comments and perhaps even being, uh, well, I always talk to my clients about being their own advocate. And even as a patient, you absolutely have to advocate for yourself. And also it's an opportunity to teach a doctor even um, about right. that, how that can be detrimental. Um, and I also try to make sure that whatever doctors are on the treatment team of my clients that I do collaborate with them, with the, with them ahead of time. Um, some are not so receptive and others are much more and thank God. And it's definitely a work in progress is going to be for a very, very long time, um, unfortunately, but moving forward, that's what's important. Um, and with regards to diet culture and yo-yo dieting, it absolutely, of course, is such a such an issue. And what a lot of people don't realize is that one diet culture sells us that then will create happiness. And what I always come back and ask, well, like that's such a, a dynamic thing that changes throughout our life. We can't, we're not always the same body size. So how can our happiness be fully based in a body size? I mean, what if you have a mm -hmm. baby for women, of course, if you have a baby, uh, I mean, you're not going to be the same as when you were maybe 18 or another age or something like that. And when you're older, um, things change, our bodies change. Uh, and with that, this is something that blows my mind that not a lot of people think about. But the diet industry is so ineffective. And let's just face it, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. And if it were as successful right. as it claims to be, how can it still make money? And everyone would be good and, and you know successful and never need them again. Um, but a lot of people don't realize that body image is mental. And no amount of changing your body is going to improve that. Uh, perhaps you may have a little bit of a, a little high, so to speak, when you do lose a weight that you're thinking that you want to lose, but really it's just never going to be enough. The number that you want is always going to get lower. And then you just form this path of never being happy. Um, and of course that's going to interrupt a, a lot of other things too. Right. And I think like one could argue that you're probably going to be more unhappy just battling that mm -hmm. battling yourself battling the scale and having this constant fight and stress yeah. versus just saying you know what I I do care about my health but I'm not going to weigh myself and I'm I'm just going to eat foods that give me energy I'm not going to count calories or macros or track my steps like if you give up that and have freedom I feel like you will end up being happier mm -hmm. and also something you touched on is <laughs> thin e equal happy like I think the message that we get as dietitians is thin equals healthy. Mm -hmm. And so it's like thin does not equal happy or healthy mm -hmm. necessarily because I know several people who are very thin in small bodies, but they are chain smokers. And, you know, I mean, it's just like they could be doing something very detrimental to their health mm -hmm. in order to stay thin. So it's like just because you're thin, it doesn't look at the inside of your body. Yeah, I think um, I actually just finished the book Health at Every Size again. I've I try to reread it every year or two. <laughs> yeah, I need to well, read it again. It's good because it, you know, the first time you read it, when you're in, typically you're pretty immersed in diet culture, and so sometimes 
at least for me, I can speak to, I was having arguments in my head against some of the things she was saying in her book and kind of like, well, okay, I'll let you have that one. But also part of this is actually this and I don't want to encourage this. So I was having mental arguments back and forth. And so now that I'm deeper into my intuitive eating journey and learning more, like you said, reaching out and getting more resources and things, reading it again, I'm like, yes, Mm -hmm. amen. And yep, I believe that. Like it's, it's really important to go back, but I think this is a good plug for that book at this moment of health of every every size because everyone's unique, everyone's different. We can all eat the exact same things and move our bodies the exact same way and we'll still have different bodies and that was on purpose and intentional and we should celebrate that uniqueness and also know that no matter your size right now, you can incorporate health um, uh, healthy habits and ways to take care of your body and look for health in other ways than what comes through as your weight. So, and I think that kind of brings us to kind of our next question is what are some of the biggest fears you see your, um, clients or patients having to deal with when they do want to embark on this recovery journey? Yeah. So a lot of people, this actually fears start obviously way before they even walk into my room. Um, many times when my clients come in for the first time, I, I see the nervousness and the anxiety. Um, and there's, they've been toying with the idea of coming to therapy for a very long time. Um, and a lot of the fears is often misunderstandings also around the therapeutic process. Uh, many people think that, right. if, yeah, if you're going to come in, then all of a sudden I'm going to make you gain weight. And I was like, listen, I can't make you do anything, um, <laughs> right. but we could w- work on it and talk to it. I never want that to be a, a reason that someone doesn't make their first step um, because getting help is obviously is going to be much better than not having that help, that help. Um, but a lot of people just really misunderstand that, uh, that that's going to happen for one um, or for two, that they don't really know if a lot of times a big fear rather is having a history of treatment that hasn't worked. And that's actually one of the biggest things that I see, particularly with clients who have been around the block a little bit and have had this for a really, really long time. Um, They've had people who, they're like, listen, I really don't have a lot of faith in this, um, but I'm going to try. And I, and I always go through this feel. I, I understand that you've had a really you know, hard, di- a difficult time or a difficult experience with a prior therapist. But sometimes it takes the right person and sometimes it takes the right time. Um, and then all of a sudden things happen and magic happens and recovery can happen. Uh, and I have seen a lot of progress with some of those clients who have come through with, well, I would say with, with all of those really who have come through with regards to having that fear of uh, their history talking. So there's a lot of fear. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of fear about the unknown, really. And that could be extended to so many different things. If you are afraid that I'm going to make you gain weight or you're afraid of airing out the eating disorder because lying and dishonesty is a big part of the eating disorder. And really what happens is that in therapy, you're kind of pushed to be honest about that. And that makes the eating disorder very vulnerable. And it doesn't like it, obviously, because the eating disorder then is vulnerable. Your healthy self has a chance to grow and then beat the eating disorder. And if we're looking at the eating disorder almost as though it's a separate entity, that's its fight for survival. Survival. It's not going to like that right. very much. 
Yeah, I love that. I love what you said about um, being the right time and the right person with therapists because I myself have been to therapy and it's funny, um, not necessarily for eating disorders, but um, for other things. And when I didn't like my therapist, I wrote it off and was like, well, this isn't for me. And then I took a few months off and then I was like, okay, maybe I should try again. So I want to stress to anyone who is toying with that idea of um, going to therapy, find the right therapist. It's okay Mm -hmm. to make an appointment and then cancel it or make an appointment and then say, you know what, that therapist wasn't for me. I'm going to try someone else. Like, I know that takes a lot of bravery and I know that takes a lot of, it's really hard. I think those first few therapy sessions are honestly the hardest because Mm -hmm. you're bearing so much. You're starting from ground zero. You're trying to explain everything and you might have to go through that process a few times, which might be exhausting, but the payout is so, so worth it. So I loved it's all about the timing. It's about finding the right fit for you, Mm -hmm. therapists and dietitians and we kind of hit on it too with doctors. We're all just humans and we're doing the best we can. Yeah. And we're doing the best that we can to serve you. And some ways our way of doing that may not line up with what you need to hear at that moment. Mm -hmm. So you might circle back to, you know, the therapist that you didn't think was right for you or a dietitian one day, but it's okay if it's not the right fit. And us as practitioners are the first to admit too, that if it's not the right fit for you, we want what's best for you Mm -hmm. in your recovery. So go somewhere else. That's fine. Someone else will fit into that spot for us. So don't feel bad. (laughs) Don't just not show up for your appointment. Keep trying and keep kind of working on that. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I had a similar experience. I went to therapy and she just was not a good fit for me. So now I'm on the hunt for a new one. But Uh um, it's like I at least knew like, okay, therapy is still good. It's just this was not a good fit for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when you do therapy, what does your session typically look like? Because I'm sure that your session is different than like, like I went for anxiety. I'm sure that my session would be different than somebody who's going for eating disorders. Mm -hmm. Can you just touch on that? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I love about the thing, what I do is that some of our sessions can look completely different from person to person, but also from week to week. Um, So when I, I'll go through a little bit about how my sessions work and um, really the process of it. And for me particularly, obviously everyone has their own, their own jive and their own way of doing things. Um, But I always stress to my clients that especially starting off, it's a, it's a phase of exploration and it will always be exploration and figuring out what led to the eating disorder and and not always focusing fully on that. But sometimes we do really need to backtrack to figure out how to recreate thoughts um, and recreate beliefs that are now more functional and helpful. Um, And one of the things that I also really talk, honestly, I use a lot of sarcasm and humor in my sessions. Most of my clients- We love it. I know. If you think about it, like with the eating disorder, it's so illogical. And sometimes the, the best way to break through that, like, I'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. That cookie is totally going to make you a grain to gain 100 pounds. And then they laugh. <laughs> and then they realize yeah. that it's like that is very silly. And making that eating disorder, because it's so powerful and it seems like such a demon over you. Uh, let's right. make it. Like, let's take away the power. Let's laugh at it. Let's mock it. Um, and that's something that I use often. Of course, there are some clients that I would not do that with because that's not really what sure. works what best for them. But um, depending on what my client needs in that moment, I I consider myself an eclectic therapist. So really what that means is I use different modalities. I look at my individual client and pull what resources, what um, modes of therapy that I want to use, what skills that I want to use that I think would be best for that particular client. Um, And that's what I do. So everything's very, very tailored individually. 
Um, and I love that they're so different sometimes. I, I have created dating profiles with my clients sometimes so that they can learn how to talk about themselves positively and sell themselves. And, and oh, that's cool. something that's really cool. Um, this exposure. Sometimes I do work on exposure with the scale, not getting on the scale, um, but having it there because inevitably you may go into a bathroom at your friend's house and see a scale. And I don't want it to have that power over you. Like step on me, step on me, like get rid of <laughs> right. that. And you can see that you can uh, acknowledge that it's there uh, and to move forward. Um, and I do also offer meal support for some of my clients that are therapeutic meal support. I'll either have them bring in a snack and we'll have a snack together um, or a lunch or whatever time of the day. Obviously it's pro appropriate. Um, and we talk about either sometimes it's about, what thoughts and feelings are coming up and other times it's just really casual and making it so that we can eat and have a casual conversation and there's no power that the food has um so that's it's kind of cool it looks so different for each and every person but that's what it really comes down to is really tailoring it to the individual person I love that. I wanted to touch real quick on the scale thing that you yes. brought up. It reminded me, I was listening to the Trust Your Body Project um, podcast, which is an awesome podcast I'd recommend. Um, and actually, Evelyn Triboli was on her um, episode, I think number two, mm -hmm. and I was listening to it. And she was talking about a scale that's out there that it was my first experience hearing about this. But there's a scale that exists that you step onto it. And instead of numbers coming up, it like goes through the calculation and then something like a compliment comes up instead. It says like, you're sexy or you're that. hot or oh. you're amazing. <laughs> I was like, what a clever idea. That's so smart. I'm like kicking myself for not coming up with it. <laughs> and I've heard of like other women, you know, just putting a sticky note over the number. Mm -hmm. So because it can be really hard to break that habit of stepping yeah. on the scale. I myself was in a habit of stepping on the scale like every day or once a week. And I don't even know why because I wasn't like it was just this mental. It was in my bathroom. I went to the bathroom right away and then I would see it and I'd just step on it just to see mm -hmm. where I was at. And, you know, it, it can be really hard to break that yeah. habit. But I love that those scales kind of offer a different alternative or a different outcome to what happens when you step on the scale mm -hmm. and it changes your relationship with your scale. And you know, the research has supported that when you step on the scale and see a number, you're not going to be happy with that number. Even if it is like a slow, like maybe you have like a little high for the day, but then the next day it changes because you haven't lost more weight right. or you went up a little bit or you, or you are drink hydrated. Right. You're never satisfied. That's what exactly. You're never happy. Yeah. So once you get in that habit of stepping on the scale and it's just this compliment over and over and over again, yeah. it might seem silly and cheesy at the, at the time, it. but deep down, it really does make a change. So I'll look up what the name yes, of that is and put I, it on our social media because it, it seems I so cool. I want one. I got rid of our bathroom scale and I've even had people come over and they're like, oh, I just weighed myself and they were like disappointed in the number. Mm -hmm. right. And I'm like, I don't really use it. Mm -hmm. I don't think my husband used it. Like, why do we even have this in our bathroom? Like I did use it when I was pregnant because I was trying to gain weight. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a, a somewhat useful purpose for it, yeah. but I love that. I want to buy that scale and put it in my bathroom and then put a sticky note that says weigh yourself. Yes. <laughs> it, yeah. It's so you like love yourself, focus on the good of your body. But um, yeah, I actually, during my midwife appointments, um, they would weigh me and I would step on the scale backwards. I was like, I don't care. Like, I don't care what this number means. As long as she's tracking it and I'm still gaining weight appropriately mm -hmm. and the baby's growing. That's what I care about. I don't need to see my weight. You know, I really don't. So I would step on it backwards and they read it off and, you know, they wrote it down on their paper. They didn't read it out loud to me. And it's just really a good mental game, even for those of us who have been down this journey of intuitive eating for a long time. Mm -hmm. So 
Anyways, um, so back to the topic. I just, I loved what you said about that. And I wanted to mention that. I'm glad though. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I did want to touch on this with you as well. And I know everyone's so different, but I would wonder if you can gather some insight to give our listeners on when, like, what are the thresholds, if you can, (laughs) and this is going to be kind of hard, um, of when you should maybe actually seek out help or seek a therapist Mm -hmm. or a dietitian or doctor care team, Mm -hmm. um, either for outpatient help or also for inpatient help, Mm because there's inpatient options for people with eating disorders as well. So, Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So this is something that uh, I would actually make it very simple that I always say to anyone, if you feel like you're struggling at all, go get help. First off, I think everyone could benefit from therapy. I don't care what you're at. And we all, we all have a little crazy. Let's just face it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we all could benefit from therapy all the time, exactly, all the time, exactly. even therapists. Yes. Um, yeah. And they're the ones that really need the most. Um, so, <laughs> um, so absolutely. What I say is that there's so much research that supports that the earlier on you catch an eating disorder and you treat it, the much better the prognosis. And what that means is a lot less treatment, ideally, not all the time. I'm not going to say this is 100%, but you have a better chance and not needing as much treatment, not needing as high levels of care of treatment and saving yourself a hell of a lot of money because treatment is very, very expensive. Uh, So what I say is if you're struggling at all and be mindful, and I hope that if someone is listening to this podcast, they are already kind of understanding what disordered eating is. So even if you're feeling that there's any struggle with the disordered eating, even if it seems like, oh, that is kind of the culture, if there's any struggle with disordered eating, any struggle with your body image, it can't hurt for you to go into a therapist's um, office. So what I would recommend is, of course, finding someone who specifically works with that. Um, and I, I've talked about this a lot, uh, to find someone who works with it, interview them, uh, do research. So many people, which is awesome, have their profiles um, online, a website, uh, social medias, which is really, really great. Um, and then when you do that, So what I say to my clients when they start with me is that this is an exploration phase. Um, And I will recommend and even pass that if one of my clients is on the decline and I feel that you need a higher level of care, I will absolutely recommend that. So what I would recommend is to get to a therapist, go to an outpatient therapist, and they are going to be the ones who are going to be um, more informed to really decide whether or not they should make a recommendation for a higher level of care and what level that of care that is and really help you along that process because it's it's difficult to figure all that out with life and also the support um, is really needed of a, of a therapist when you're going through that because you might have things that you're facing instead of going to inpatient when you're struggling with the thought of inpatient you might think that and this is something that I would be a billionaire if I got a dollar for every time I heard this that I'm not thin enough for treatment and I was just gonna ask you that question (laughs) do you (laughs) yes do you think that doctors um and therapists have gotten better about referring patients so even if they're in a uh let's say normal body size or larger body size are they still are they getting better about 
accepting patients who are in those bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like a lot of times patients we've even had at our job where they're like, oh, I wasn't thin enough to get accepted into this treatment program. Yeah, it was like based on BMI. We've had people mm-hmm. be like, my BMI wasn't low mm-hmm. enough to get into an inpatient, mm-hmm. which is just which does, heartbreaking. Which doesn't necessarily show how how um, detrimental like your mental status is mm-hmm. at that point because you could be really struggling mentally and the weight's not coming off, mm-hmm. but then you could have somebody who just is like early on in the disorder and they've lost a lot of weight and they're in a small body. So yeah, tell us your thoughts about that too. Absolutely. So doctors, I'm not going to say 100% have gotten better because I still think that that's a big field. Overall, I'm not saying for everyone that they do need to um, be more recognizing of that. And normally they do more more so look at the the weight. Uh, And of course they do blood tests, but a lot of the things don't show up in blood tests for a while, depending on the disorder and depending on the severity, of course. If you are finding a therapist with, who specializes in eating disorders, then they would know and they would do that recommendation uh, based on not the body size and based on what you, got, what you are presenting behaviorally. The struggle that I find and that I have unfortunately seen is insurance, and that's usually the, the thing that stops it. Um, so uh, I would say a lot. So sad. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But insurance, it's still like 30 years behind, and I don't know when that's ever going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm hoping it does, but I think that therapists have gotten better. I think that even the inpatient people, um, the centers and residential centers have gotten better, uh, with that. And I, I know that they do try to work, so I wouldn't have that be something that holds you back. Um, because I do believe a lot of times they will try to work with scholarships or do whatever they can to really get you the help that you need. But insurance might be a battle, unfortunately, with that. Hmm. Right. All right. So you talked a little bit about um, early intervention, yeah. and I love that. Um, you know, all that research is coming out that the earlier you catch that, um, whereas I feel like maybe previous generations would just ignore it mm-hmm. and hope that it went away or applauded it and thought, you know, you have such good discipline, you know, around food or whatnot. Yeah. But um, can you talk a little bit about maybe what parents should look for in their children mm-hmm. or significant others or partners or friends even um, what maybe some signs are to look for to see if that specific person needs a little bit more help or encouragement of course of course um, so I am a huge uh, um, advocate of uh, preventing eating disorders and also that obviously pertains to parenting a lot and, and educators of course uh, so some things that you may see and really be on the lookout for are things that actually unfortunately seem typical these days, um, such as if they start talking a lot about their body size. Uh, and especially being young, they're going to go through, you know, the middle school, oh God, and like the times that everyone's just feeling so awkward about their bodies and all of that. So it's something that as soon as you can to really try to get that help and um, to really recognize that your your daughter shouldn't be talking about how how fat she is when she's you know eight years old and I would hope that no one ever does but unfortunately that's the case um but if you start seeing any body talk if you start to see them even engaging in diet diety type of behaviors uh if they start talking about their friends also my friend lost this much and they start talking about diets a lot that's something I'd be very very mindful of because it usually doesn't just stop then and it can be a very slippery slope. So it can't hurt. As I said, it can't hurt to bring them in, have someone talk to talk to. So if anything is coming up for them, they can at least talk about it and have that outlet. And if something does come up, they can get ahead of it immediately. 
I love that. And what do you recommend? um, And maybe this is (laughs) too far deep, but as just having a daughter, I am very um, aware of like my wording Mm -hmm. around her. And, you know, obviously she's still just a little baby right now. But as a parent, when you do hear your kids say things about their body, like, oh, I'm too fat or these pants don't fit. I wish I was smaller. um, Do you recommend just not acknowledging it or do you recommend in embracing some of their good attributes like oh you're so strong you're so muscular or something like that Mm -hmm. or just not even touch on it at all yeah so I would absolutely say to the latter and not ignoring it because those things are valid whatever they're saying those are at least feelings and thoughts that are valid not necessarily what they're talking about um but to to attribute say hey like well yeah maybe you feel that way but these jeans look awesome on you let's find jeans that look really really great on you um it's something that i would say even to get ahead of it and and i know that some people find this very very cheesy but affirmations are amazing so i don't have any children but i have nieces and nephews so what i'll do with them Mm -hmm. and i do encourage parents to do it with them with their kids every single day is to make affirmations that you guys do together and have fun with it because that's what's going to really get to the unconscious for them so i'll be like with my with my niece like i'm so cute and i'm a cool cat i'm so funny you know all these things and saying animated so that they really embrace it and have fun with it and then what I would recommend, if you know that there's any particular thing that they're insecure about, to throw them in. But do like one or two a day and throw them in between while they're already in that excited state and having fun with the affirmations. Throw them in. And they might pull back a little bit and they might say it, but not maybe say it to the extent. But that's going to be something that's going to be really, really helpful. Um, and it's a matter of I love that. parenting, really preventing them going into the world because the world is not going to change fast, unfortunately. Um, so we mm-hmm. need to power them up so that they can enter the world and enter diet culture without being susceptible to it. I love that so much. I do daily affirmations with my son. Oh, I love it. <laughs> um, yeah, not necessarily around his body, although maybe I will now. Um, but we, because he's had some anger issues, temper tantrums, like normal toddler stuff. So I started doing um, daily affirmations in the morning and he repeats them after me. And it's just like what you said. He gets super into it and yeah. animated and um, he loves it. And I have noticed a difference in just the way that he carries himself. And he's almost four. Um, and it, it makes me think of... Do you remember that viral video of that little girl with like the crazy curly hair and she's looking in the mirror and she's like two or three and she's like, you are awesome. You are great. This is going to be a great day. It's the funniest, um, most amazing moment to watch. And I think just as a parent to see your kid think that way about themselves Mm -hmm. has got to just like have so many emotions. Mm -hmm. I'll post about it because it's like the best video ever. (laughs) Well, it like it can't it can't hurt to teach your kids like what their um positives are you know like he you really excel at this or you're really good at this or you have such beautiful eyes like it it can't hurt to compliment them and I think some parents think like oh if I praise them too much they're going to be spoiled or if I praise them too much they're going to be arrogant and it's like there's still a good way to go about doing that and you know, like letting them know when they're successful at something or good at something um, to like help encourage them because they may not get the same encouragement at school or from a friend or from a spouse or like later on in life, they may not get that encouragement from other people. Mm -hmm. And you can, you can let me know if my logic kind of tracks, but along with what Brooke's saying, encouraging them in all areas of their life, um, whether it's something that they're not doing so hot at and you can encourage that they keep trying, Mm -hmm. like you're doing an awesome job trying. I'm so you know proud of you or something that they're naturally good at or 
what that may be, mm-hmm. but giving them that encouragement and that confidence in themselves, I would assume later down the road really um, puts them in a place of knowing their worth mm-hmm. and their value mm-hmm. so that other people can't um, write on their page is what kind of something we say in my family. It's like, who, who are you letting to write on your page? You know, um, what are they saying about you? And if you're confident enough in yourself and your page is full up of confirmation and affirmations and confidence, you don't have space for people who come in and tell you, you know, you're fat or you're ugly or you're bad at math or you're dumb or whatever. You don't have space for it because your page is already written on. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just love that idea of, being able to parent kids and encourage them from a young age Mm -hmm. on into adulthood to hopefully put them in a place of um, value and worth so they don't let other people tear them down. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And on that note, uh, what I would say to you, because we all have our, I don't even want to say shortcomings. We all have things that aren't our strengths. Let's face it. And our physical character. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Basketball. (laughs) 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 Well, someone. That's amazing. That's so funny. Um, so yeah, we all have things that aren't our strengths and it's okay to acknowledge that it's not a matter of saying to your kids, you're going to be amazing at everything because I know a lot of people can't stand like the participation ribbon type of things, but, <laughs> right. but to recognize, say, okay, well, maybe that's not your strong suit and that's okay, but you have a lot of other things. I'll never forget. Um, I, I believe I was in my positive psychology class in undergrad and my favorite professor who was my mentor on my thesis. Um, Dr. Cheryl, if she's listening, she said that her one of her daughters was on soccer, loved soccer, but she was terrible at it. And the, <laughs> the daughter came over to her and said, "Mommy, I'm so I'm not I'm not good at it." And she's like, "You know what? You're really not, but that's okay." Like, and and really saying that you don't have to be amazing at it for you to be mm-hmm. worth it. You're having fun, and you can have fun, and that's not maybe your the biggest thing that you're the best at. But it's okay. And acknowledging that you don't have to be perfect and everything isn't going to be great because you don't want their worth to be placed on everything's being great because obviously we're not we're not perfect. I love mm-hmm. that. Kind of setting that intention of I'm going to go play soccer so that I can have fun mm-hmm. or so that I can move my body or see my friends and not necessarily be the best one on the on the field. Mm-hmm. Right. And if your kid's not enjoying it and on the flip side, what if your kid is really good at track? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Pick something. They're really good at it, but they hate it. Mm-hmm. Then why are we pushing our like, oh, you could get a college scholarship or you could get this like you know, it's like, there's a point to being competitive. Like if your child enjoys that sport, then obviously if they're having fun and they enjoy it, let them keep doing it. But yeah, like on the flip side, if they're really good at something, but miserable, then you need to be paying attention to those signs too. But yeah, my parents did that to me growing up. I played (laughs) basketball and I I was on the dance team and they're like, you are terrible at these things. And I like, didn't really love them anyway. And I was like, yeah, I'm not good at them. And I'm like, I'm not having fun. So like, I'm not going to, why, why, I try out you know and then I like I loved volleyball and I was I sat on the bench on varsity I was like not the best person by any mm-hmm. means but I loved it I loved my team I loved the um, sport and then I was really good at softball I like played in college and I played all through high school and by the end like by the time I got in college I was like this isn't fun for me anymore I don't enjoy this like yes I like I was good at this at one point in life but like I'm just I don't I don't like it anymore. So why am I spending four hours a day training? And um, so it's like I finally came to that realization. And I I didn't have those feelings in high school. I loved it still. But, you know, there does come a point where you just because your child loves something 
um, back in the day. It doesn't mean that they're always going to love it. Um, but yeah, exactly. And yeah, I think that brings up an awesome point of like, it's okay that we change what we like, what we enjoy, what we don't mm-hmm. like. Um, you know, taking stock and account of where you're at mentally with something like Brooke said, she was loving it and having such a great time in high school. And then in college, she came to that realization that it wasn't so enjoyable for you anymore. So I think that's really important, you know, when bringing it back to eating disorders or disordered eating, like it's okay if you feel like food isn't controlling all your thoughts. And then all of a sudden you may find that you slip into a pattern of, Oh, actually I think it is. And now maybe I need to go seek help. Mm -hmm. Um, and that bringing that awareness is so important. And, and even if you who are listening right now, aren't struggling with that right now, it doesn't mean you never will and vice versa. So I think that's good to bring awareness every once in a while, stop, check in with your mental health, talk to a therapist, you know, talk to a friend, whoever you need to, to kind of get help. Yeah. And then, um, I have another question Mm -hmm. for you. Um, what is like the biggest fear you see and what are some tips or tricks, um, or things that you do that is, um, like one successful thing, um, that you do with clients that really seems to like help. Cause obviously there's a lot to it, but just like one major fear and one tactic that's been helpful. So a major fear, um, is letting go of control. And mm-hmm. one of the things, and it's really a matter of convincing that and remembering that, Who's really in control that if, mm-hmm. if I'm putting a, a bowl of ice cream in front of you right now and you are feeling fear because of that, mm-hmm. then that ice cream is controlling you and you're not controlling that. So losing mm-hmm. control is one of the biggest things and letting go of control. is one of the biggest things because a lot of times that perhaps, but not for everyone, but eating disorders may develop as a means of that's what I can control. So I'm going to control it. Um, and letting go of that, what does that mean? Because when we let go of control, then all of a sudden there's room for the unknown. If I don't control my food, then I'm never going to be able to stop. And all these thoughts, um, but what we really have to recognize, and it's really a matter of you know pushing and recognizing that the, the food is controlling you in that moment, um, mm-hmm. but also education about how the disorder works. And if you are constantly holding so close to to on onto control and perhaps restricting ultimately your your biological drive is going to kick in and then you end up swinging to the other side and start maybe binging and then you feel guilty about that and then you're like well i'm going to go back to restricting and you never get to the middle because um you're afraid that every single time you lose control you're just going to go to the binging side but what we need to work on is relinquishing that control and recognizing that when we do let go of that control then we actually have the middle ground and the pendulum from the restricting to the binging can sit in the middle and fall in the middle. I love that. And what you said about education and being objective, mm-hmm. you know, this is, this is what this disorder does to you. It's not your fault. It's not your issue. Um, and this is the bio, the biology behind it, mm-hmm. you know, of what your body is going to do to save itself. So I think that's really, really key too. Yeah. Um, I did want to ask you one last question mm-hmm. and, uh, really in your practice, because I think we're pretty aligned in how we view food and food's role and role in people's lives. Mm -hmm. Um, How does intuitive eating specifically play into the long-term recovery Mm -hmm. um, with your patients? Mm -hmm. So what I do notice is that um, because I'm not the nutritionist, I do work very closely with nutritionists um, that we typically they they give, depending on what the issue is and depending on the, the goals, um, a meal plan. 
And then, of course, then it gets to the point that, you know, we're not trying to stick to a meal plan for all of our lives. That only is a step to be able to get your, your, your body used to eating normally or more normally again. It's getting your body to perhaps regain hunger cues if you've kind of lost that and fullness cues um, and all that. So one of the things that we really do work on is one, being able to, again, relinquish control because that's a whole other um, battle when you're letting go of the, the meal plan uh, because that became your safety net for a period of time because you're afraid to eat more or you're afraid to eat less and depending on um, the issue. But um, one of the things that I, I, I say is um, that we need to return to mindfulness. And one of the things that we really work hard on uh, throughout all of our sessions, because a lot of times, especially in this day and age, we're like zooming back and forth and we're, you know, all over the place and we can never really sit still with our thoughts. We can never kind of come back and be like present in the moment. Um, so a lot of the times we work on mindfulness and mindfulness practices. Um, one of the ways that I talk about beginning that um, is a five, four, three, two, one technique. And what we do is go through and I say, take something you do every single day. Most people shower every single day. Um, and then do five, <laughs> yeah, hopefully, right? <laughs> new moms here. New moms yeah. We don't do that. So dry shampoo all day. <laughs> so when you're dry shampooing there, then five, <laughs> um, you go through our senses. So we go through five things that we see, uh, like four things that we feel physically. So perhaps like the shirt that's you're feeling on your, uh, on your arms, um, perhaps the dry shampoo on your head, uh, you know, whatever <laughs> that might be. Um, three things that you hear, uh, two things that you smell. And one thing that you taste and hopefully if you're doing any of that you're not tasting anything but i just come back <laughs> in and you know maybe you got shampoo in your mouth or something like that but when we're really able to bring ourselves and our awareness back to the present then we're more able to tap into our body and really work on listening to our hunger cues listening to our fullness cues and really becoming more aware of what our body is telling us that we need what our body is telling me us that we want um, and really returning to that mindfulness. And then that really is something that helps so much in intuitive eating because you're not going to be very intuitive if you are thinking, you know, you're in Japan right now and you're sitting in, you know, New York or, or Denver or something mm -hmm. like that. So mindfulness is something that we really, really work on. But I always, um, and my goal for all my clients is really to get to the point of intuitive eating because we don't want to live on a diet. We don't want to live on a meal plan. We want to live where you can have a bowl of ice cream. If you want a bowl of ice cream, you can have pizza for breakfast if that's what you want and just kind of going along with the motions. I love that. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, um, thank you. Thank anything you. else you want to say to our listeners? Yeah. You know, maybe let them know where they can find more information about you and where you're at on social. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm all over. I'm working on a podcast right now. Um, but awesome. uh, yes, yes. I'm like, oh, this is really cool. Um, but I do YouTube right now. My channel is State of Balance. Um, and I'm also on Instagram, State of Balance for Life. And if there's ever any questions for anyone, I always say this. I'm not joking. Reach out to me and I will, if I can't answer your question, I will absolutely find some way to help to guide you to who can answer your question. Um, so even if you're, if you're seeking therapy from me or even if you're just um, kind of asking a question about something you're experiencing, that door is truly, truly open. Um, so yeah, that's basically it. And if you're struggling at all, please, please, please go and get help. The sooner, the better. 
Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, slide into her DMs. That's right. <laughs> she said you can. I'm so here. doors wide open. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for being, being on here with us, Stephanie. We really appreciate you brought some really um, a lot of added value to our listeners and some really good insight from another part of the care team when dealing with eating disorders and disordered eating. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, that concludes our interview with Stephanie, um, the therapist that helped us kind of discover more about intuitive eating and eating disorders and disordered eating. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Yeah, so we will have her information on the show notes, but um, we also wanted to remind everybody that we are doing a giveaway. Whoop, whoop, whoop. We're going to do a live drawing too. So um, it's going to include intuitive eating, health at every size books, fit snack, um, and also Amazon gift card. Amazon gift card. What, what? So you don't want to miss out on this opportunity. I feel like her presence really made me super calm. I know. <laughs> so now that she's off, I'm like, yeah, 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 let's quit. <laughs> I know, right? Super hyper. It's All probably right. good to have somebody calming with us. It really is. She's a very calming presence of a therapist around. Yeah. Uh, I need more therapy, man. Oh, <laughs> who doesn't need more therapy? I loved when she was like, who can't benefit from therapy? It's so true. Brooke and I are big fans. So. Uh, yeah. Even like, I don't know if your church does this. Our church like promotes therapy for everyone, all yeah. couples. Like they're just like, it's not going to hurt. Right. <laughs> exactly. And sometimes it opens things up that you're like, I hadn't had even no idea. realized that. Um, like we said in the podcast, you have to find the right therapist for you. So keep trying. If, if you didn't feel like it was for you, the one time you tried, keep trying. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Yeah, so if you want to get entered into the sweepstakes, um, sweepstakes <laughs> is that the right word? I'm gonna we will just call it a sweepstakes. <laughs> Screw giveaways, we're doing sweepstakes. <laughs> so if you want to get entered in, then go ahead and um, like or sorry, not like. Well, you can uh, like us if you want. <laughs> what do you do? You're gonna hit that um, that button <laughs> that <laughs> struggle fast. <laughs> 2019. <laughs> you're going to give us some stars. There we go. And then Five you're going to write a written review about the podcast. So you can include in there your favorite episode or what episode you liked, but you feel like you need more information on, or you can write in there a topic you'd like to hear, um, or you can DM us that information, but we would love for you to write in what your favorite episodes were um, on your written reviews and you'll get a Enter, I don't know. You'll get entered in. <laughs> you'll get right entered word? into the giveaway. So yeah. So if you write us a written review and it doesn't have to be five stars, you guys, you can still win and give us one star, but we're not gonna be happy about it. All right. But listen, so give us a review, written review, share us on social media with your friends. Uh, make sure to tag us so we see that you share. Um, and that's another way to get another entry into the giveaway. And then the third way to enter the giveaway is what? Uh we're gonna have to yeah, the stars. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Yeah, you give us stars, and then that's one. And then written review is two. And then sharing with your friends is three. Gotcha. So, guys, you can get three entries. Three entries to three. win. And then once we hit 100 ratings, we're going to pull someone. And Brooke and I are going to do it live. Yeah. On Instagram. Yeah. So, be really exciting. Yeah. Check it out. All right. You can find more information about the giveaway below, more information about Stephanie below. You can find all our contact information below. Make sure to follow us at diet.riot.podcast on Instagram and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Hello, hello, hello. hello. I got my
wet hair. Oh, you can't tell them. That's fine. No. This is how we do it. Bum, 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 bum.